0: Good morning. It's time for our children to be dismissed. If you have kids that need to be checked into the nursery, take them back. And then kids for kid Zone, kinder through uh, sixth grade can head back to where Cody is and get ready for kid Zone. Well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, turn with me if you have your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. This is the third week of Advent, the season of waiting, the season of uh, waiting for the arrival or the the coming of Jesus. The theme for this week is joy, and there are there are lots of joyful things tied to the holidays, uh, things that we can enjoy, things that we take joy in and rejoice in during the holiday season. Of course. There's also a lot of heartache that can you know, take that away from us. It's easy when we're walking through pain and when we're walking through uh, heartaches in this world to let those things take our joy from us, to steal our joy. Um, and so I don't want to dismiss the heartaches and the pains that we face Uh, but God's word does remind us that because of Jesus, we can be a people of joy. We can be a people who rejoice in what he has done for us. I've titled my sermon, Rejoicing in God, our Savior. In the first week of Advent, we saw God promising to work in this hopeless situation of Zechariah and Elizabeth uh, to send them a child, uh, and that through John the Baptist, John was going to point people to the Savior. And then last week we looked at uh, the promise to Mary, that she is going to carry the child, the promised one, the promised pr- Prince of Peace, the Messiah. And so this week, our text today is filled with joy. Uh, it is joy for who God is, joy for what God is doing and what God is going to do uh, through the son that he is sending so I'm going to read the text for us uh, Luke 1 starting in verse 39 and then I'm going to pray for us Luke chapter 1 verse 39 in those days Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zariah's house and greeted Elizabeth When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill what He has spoken to her. And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because He has looked with favor on the humble condition of His servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, And his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months, then she returned to her home. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. And as we pray each week, I pray that we will believe this, and I pray that we will respond accordingly. As you are calling us to, Holy Spirit, work in our minds and work in our hearts. Produce in us what it is you desire. We love you, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as we work through this text, we're going to be looking at ways that we can rejoice in God because God is our Savior. So as our Savior, He has worked in us. As people who've put their faith in Christ, God has worked in us, and that should impact our rejoicing. Uh, And so we're going to look at multiple things from this text of how this should impact our rejoicing in this world. The first thing that we see in this text is this. Since God is our Savior, we should rejoice when He works in others. Since God is our Savior, we should rejoice when He works in others. Uh, So if He is our Savior, if we've put our faith in Jesus, God has worked in us, and therefore that should produce in us this joy, this rejoicing in God when we see that He's working in and through other people. Let's look at those, uh, the first part of this text again, verses 39 through 45. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and your child will be blessed. How could this happen To me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Says Mary hurried. ...to a town in the hill country of Judah. This is about three days, maybe four days. So if you remember last week... uh, ...the angel Gabriel has told Mary... ...you're going to miraculously conceive a child... ...and he's the promised one. He's the the promised Messiah. And Mary wants to know... ...how in the world is this going to take place? I, I don't know a man... How is this possible? And Gabriel explains it to her. And then he, in God's kindness towards her, tells her, there's a sign that you can know. There's a sign for you to see. Consider Elizabeth. She's in her sixth month. The woman who was called childless is in the sixth month of her pregnancy and she's carrying a child also. And so that news... And that promise that nothing will be impossible with God was what the next verse says. That news drove Mary to go and see. I I want to see this miracle that's taking place. And so she hurries. We don't know who she told. We don't know who she took with her. We don't know if she went by herself. But we know that she went quickly to go and see Elizabeth. News had not made it to her yet. News hadn't made it to anyone yet except for Zechariah and Elizabeth from what the text seems to indicate because she kept herself secluded for five months. And now it's in the sixth month and no one knows that God has worked this miracle in Elizabeth to cause her to have a child. And so Mary rushes off and travels about three days to see God at work in her relative. Now, the first sign of joy, I told you that this text is filled with joy. Uh, the first sign of joy is actually, I think, the most beautiful. It's in John. The first sign of joy is in the baby that's in the womb, who's six months in utero. Uh, and he's the one that responds with joy first. Uh, filled with the Spirit of God, Mary, uh, Elizabeth is going to tell Mary what happened, but it says that when she heard the greeting from Mary, the baby inside her leaped, and Elizabeth says later on, he leaped for joy when I heard your Greeting. And so, John, who is to be a prophet pointing to the Messiah, his first act in the presence of Mary, who's carrying the Messiah, is to leap with joy for the one that's coming. And his entire life is going to be dedicated to pointing to the one that's coming. And so, our first sign of joy is in the baby John leaping inside of Elizabeth. And then the second sign of joy is in this spirit filled declaration from Elizabeth to Mary. She calls Mary, Blessed, blessed are you among women, of all the women. You're the most blessed. And your child is going to be blessed. And she then goes on to declare, Spirit-filled, right? This is the Spirit of God working in her and speaking prophetically through her. This child, she says, this is my Lord. She hasn't heard, right? Elizabeth doesn't know what the angel has told her. But through the Spirit of God, she speaks this truth about the child that Mary is carrying. And she says, how could it be that the mother of my Lord, the mother of the promised one, would come and visit me. And so Elizabeth humbly accepting, like, what a blessing it is to have Mary come and Mary is the one that's going to bring the Messiah into the world. He's the promised one. And so this joy-filled, Spirit-led declaration from Elizabeth is a declaration of joy. Look at what God's doing and how amazing is it that God is working again and that God would send the mother of my Lord to visit me. And then she again calls Mary blessed. And I think this is kind of pointing to the faith of Mary and emphasizing again the faith of Mary. She says, you're blessed because you believed. You believed what God said he was going to do. And this kind of puts her in a different category than Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband. Remember, Zechariah's response was one of disbelief. Zechariah has not been able to speak for months now because he didn't believe what God said was going to happen. But here is little Mary, the faithful young girl, young woman, and she is declared by the Spirit of God speaking through Elizabeth You're blessed because you were so faithful. You believed what God said was going to happen. And so, this declaration of joy, this joy-filled response from Elizabeth, is such an encouragement. Imagine the encouragement to Elizabeth—I mean, to Mary—to uh, hear this news. God's going to miraculously, through His presence and His power, cause you to conceive. And if if you need to see proof, just go see Elizabeth. And so, for her to go and then one be able to see. It's really happening. Elizabeth is with a child, but then to hear these words, inspired by the Holy Spirit or led by the Holy Spirit, as she was filled by the Holy Spirit of God, to say, You're blessed because you believed. You're carrying the mother. uh, You're the mother of my Lord. You're carrying my Lord. What an encouragement for Elizabeth to be to Mary during this time. Elizabeth doesn't question what God's doing. Elizabeth doesn't doubt God's choice in choosing Mary to be the one that is going to carry the Messiah. Elizabeth doesn't say, you know, why her? What's so special about this young girl that you would choose her instead of me or instead of somebody else? Elizabeth's response was rejoicing that God was working in Mary. And that should be our response when we see God working in other people too. It's one of rejoicing. But sometimes when we're walking through hardships, it's hard to rejoice. Right? When we feel the like our heart breaking for whatever's going on in our lives it's hard to respond with joy it's hard to rejoice in others and then sometimes even worse like for me it's hard to rejoice because of my sinful response right sometimes i i find it hard and think seriously god you're gonna do that with them why them i remember when i was uh feeling called to full-time ministry uh, and had started seminary and started praying about and and hoping for uh, a full time position in a church. And I had someone close to me who, uh, about within about a year after I had felt the call to ministry, felt the same thing, and they were immediately put in a position in a church. And my thought was, why them? Like I've been been waiting and praying for a year, why? Why not me, God? My response should have been one of rejoicing, like praise God that He's working in you. Praise God that He's working through you. But in my heart, I had this kind of hardness about why? Why not me? Our response should be one of rejoicing when we see God at work in others and through others. Paul tells us we should rejoice with those who are rejoicing In Romans, and then he models that in his interactions with the churches and things that he says to the churches. uh, We can see that that's what Paul does when he sees God at work in others. If you remember, the first uh, series we walked through was Philippians, the Epistle of Joy, uh, and so much was talking about rejoicing in the Lord and. Paul models the way we should rejoice when we see God at work in others. He does that with the Philippian church and most of the churches that he writes to. We see this, Philippians 1, starting in verse 3. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He thanks God for them regularly. And he says, I remember you with joy. I take joy in thinking about you. And then he explains why. Because your partnership in the gospel. You are at work faithfully working to advance the gospel and God's working in you to do that and God's going to complete all the tasks that He wants to complete in you, Paul rejoices that God's working in the Philippians. Paul's not thinking, man, why am I stuck in jail? Why am I the one under house arrest, not out? Like, I've been faithful. He's just thankful and rejoicing that God is at work in other people. He's at work in his church to advance the gospel. And Paul rejoices in that. So for us, church, let's look for ways that God is at work. Let's look for ways that God's at work in other people and and rejoice in that. Find joy in it and rejoice in that. Let's praise God for it and let's encourage those people. Right? So... When we see He's at work in others, whether it's to produce salvation, whether it's to produce faith to where they will be saved, or if He's just at work in other believers to use them in a mighty way to advance the gospel, let's rejoice. And as we do that, let's encourage them. Just as Elizabeth's words to Mary would have been such an encouragement, God's working in you. Look at what God's doing in you. Let's be an encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ to rejoice and to come alongside of them and encourage them because God is at work. The second thing I want us to look at from this text is this. Since God is our Savior, we should rejoice in what He's done for us. Since God is our Savior, we should rejoice in what He has done for us us. Let's look at verses 46 to 50. And Mary said, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is is from generation to generation on those who fear Him. We should rejoice in what God has done for us personally. And that's what we see in this response from Mary. Now this is the beginning of her kind of song of praise, this joy-filled song of praise that's known uh, by many as the Magnificat. Uh, the Magnificat comes from the Latin word for magnify, where Mary says, my, my soul magnifies the Lord. And so Mary bursts into praise as she sees Elizabeth and hears this spirit-filled declaration about her and about her child. Mary's response is this joy-filled praise. And she says, I magnify God for what He is doing I rejoice in God, my Savior, which that, of course, is where I get the title for my sermon today, Rejoicing in God, our Savior. That's part of Mary's song. As she thinks about what God has done for her, her response is rejoicing in the Lord. And so this beautiful song of praise is a song of joy from Mary. And the first section is personal. Now we'll get to the second section, which is looking at a broader thing of what God is going to do for His people. But initially, her response of joy and her joy-filled praise is because of what God has done in her. And she says, He's looked with favor on me. Like, who am I? She still, we remember last week, if you were here, we talked about Mary's humility Uh, thinking, like, how could I be the blessed one? Like, what kind of greeting is that for someone like me? Uh, She's still responding with humility and saying, I was of, like, no status. I had this, she refers to her, her humble condition, meaning, like, I'm, remember we said she was a nobody from nowhere, from the world standards. A young teenage girl from Nazareth, would not be someone that you would have thought of in the ancient world as going to be like play some significant role. And she's saying, I I wasn't anybody. And God has elevated me. He has exalted me. He's lifted me up. And now everyone, every generation will continue to call me blessed because of what God has done for me. Not because she's done anything significant. But it's because of God's kindness towards her. Her response is, God did this, and people will call me blessed for it. And then she says, He's the mighty one. He's done a great thing for me, He's holy and so she's speaking these truths about God and speaking about how God has worked in her and cared for her and she is filled with joy for it and she says he, his mercy is for from generation to generation and so Mary's joy-filled praise starts with rejoicing in what God has done for her he's always been faithful and she rejoices now that should be our response, too. But the reality is, I've already mentioned it, is sometimes it's hard, right, to find joy. Sometimes it's hard to rejoice when we're walking through hardships, when we're when our hearts are breaking over the brokenness in this world and in our lives. It's hard to rejoice. So how do we rejoice in the hardships? And we can start with our salvation, right? If If we have put our faith in Christ, if we've trusted in Christ for our salvation and we have received the forgiveness of our sins, our response can be one of rejoicing in the Lord, even if our circumstances are hard, even if they're heartbreaking and crushing. The psalmist says in Psalm 32, which is is a psalm about the uh, joy of forgiveness that a person uh, that a child of God can experience Psalm 32 starting in verse 1 of David a mascal how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered how joyful is the pers- is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit and then skipping down to verse 11 the last verse of the psalm be glad in the, in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Be glad and rejoice. If, if your sins are forgiven... If your transgression is forgiven and your sins are covered through Jesus Christ, we can rejoice in the Lord. We can shout for joy no matter what our circumstances are. Even if they're crushing, we can say, even in this, at least I have my salvation. And nothing can take that away. And so I will rejoice. So church, let's pursue a life of joy. And let's be a people who rejoices in God and what He has done for us. Will there be heartaches? Absolutely. Will there be pain and grief? Absolutely. And some of us are walking through hard, hard periods of heartache and grief right now. And so I'm not suggesting we ignore those things. I'm not suggesting that we just paint on a smile and pretend like nothing's wrong in this broken world. But I'm saying even in those things, with our sins forgiven, because of what Jesus Christ has done, because God loved us enough to send His Son for us, we can rejoice. And so this week, let's think of things that we can rejoice in God about, of what He's done for us. Our salvation if we are in Christ. Uh, And then all the other ways that He cares for us and has been faithful to us. And let's rejoice in God. Let's praise God for His constant care. And so I would encourage each of us to spend some time reflecting on that. God, You're always faithful. And let that be an opportunity to rejoice in Him. The last thing I want us to see from this text is this. Since God is our Savior, we should rejoice in what He is going to do. Since God is our Savior, we should rejoice in what He is going to do. Looking back at Luke chapter 1, this is the second half of the Magnificat. The second half of Mary's joy-filled praise about God starting in verse 51. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants. Forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Now the verb tense here is helpful, uh, but in English sometimes it could be lost a little bit the way that it comes out. Now as, as we read it, everything is written as past tense, right? He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He scattered the proud, He has toppled the mighty. He's exalted the lowly, satisfied the hungry, and sent away the rich. Empty. He has helped His servant. Those are all written as past tense. But what Mary's actually speaking about is things that are going to happen in the future. And the the verb tense in the Greek here is one that is of pointing to, when it's written about what God is going to do, it's written as it is going to happen. Like, it's a certainty. So it's written as if it's already done. He has done all of these things, even though it's something that He's going to do in the future. And so she's looking at these fulfilled promises that are going to come one day and she says, I know that He's done all of these things because it's God. And God is always faithful. We don't have to wonder, is He going to do this? We can speak of it as if it is done. Because God is that good and God is that faithful. And so she is certain that he is going to finish and accomplish what it is that he's doing with this promised child. And what she speaks about in this song is that is kind of a reversal of the things that are happening in this world, the, the brokenness that has kind of taken uh, you know, the, the reins in this world, we might think. Uh, and she's saying he's going to reverse all of that where the wicked, or where the proud, or the, the, the sinful people seem to be elevated to the top. They seem to always get ahead, and the unimportant, the lowly, the insignificant in this world seem to just get left behind and trampled on, but one day, God's going to right all the wrongs. One day, this child is going to fix all of that brokenness and it's going to be turned upside down. Or as I've heard Jared Wilson say, He's going to turn the world right side up again. He's going to make it the way that it should have been, the way that it was before sin entered this world and destroyed things from what God desired for us. He's turning the world the way it should be. And so God has started that reversal in sending this child. Uh, And He will accomplish it when this child uh, who grew up and died for our sins and then was resurrected and ascended back to heaven, we have the promise He's coming again. And when He comes again, He's going to fix all of this brokenness that we experience in the world and we have the promise right he told his disciples in john that he would return for them and then we have the promise again recorded in the book of revelation the last chapter of revelation three different times jesus says i'm coming i'm coming back and so revelation 22 verse 20 He who testifies about these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus says, I I will come back. And there are promises of when, when God's Son returns, when our Savior returns, the world is going to be put back the way that it should be. There's going to be a reversal from the brokenness to the way that God desires things to be. And John's response to that is, Amen. Yes. Do it, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Come again. Fix the brokenness. And there's lots of texts that point to what that looks like, to what God will accomplish. But one that I want us to look at today is Revelation 21, verses 3 through 5. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and He will live with them. They will be His peoples and God Himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making all things. I am making everything new. He also said, right. Because these words are faithful and true. Because of this promise, when we think of what God is going to do, we can speak of it as as if it's in past tense, just just as Mary did. He's done all of these things because He's going to do them and He is faithful to do them. What a beautiful promise that the brokenness is going to one day be undone. And so as we walk through grief and heartache and pain and struggle with sin and have all of the brokenness of this world, when we read this word, uh, this truth from God's Word, that can lead us to rejoicing in Him for what He's going to do. He will do these things. So, church, we have a hope that, sure, let's hold on to that hope that's found in Jesus Christ. He's coming again, and we have promises that God is going to right all the wrongs when He does. He's going to put the world the way it needs to be. He's going to make all things new. So, let's remind ourselves of that promise And let's rejoice in the fact that it's going to happen and we can be sure because God has told us that he's going to do it and he's always faithful. So this week, I would like for us to take some time reflecting on that promise and reflecting on what that means for us personally and what that means for us as a church, that he's going to undo the brokenness that you face in this world. What heartache or grief do you face right now that you long to have undone? What pain and brokenness are you facing in this world that you can't wait for it to be mended and be done away with permanently? I would like for you to think about this. I would like for you to consider the promise of what God's going to do, of how he is going to fix all of the brokenness, and we can rejoice in that. And so as you think about the things that crush you, as you think about the things that have been so hard to deal with and walk through in this season, think about the day where Christ comes back, and fixes all of the brokenness. The day when sin, death, and Satan are all finally put in their place. The day when God himself comforts you personally. God will wipe away every tear. Think about that as we deal with the hardship and as those hardships can steal our joy from this season and from every season that we walk through, think about that and long for the day and rejoice in God that He will make it right. We can hold on to that, church, and we should, and it should lead us to rejoicing in God. Now, if you've not experienced the joy that comes with trusting in Christ. If you've not experienced the joy, the joy of salvation, the joy of the forgiveness of your sins, I pray that you experience that. I would love to talk with you today about the, the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ. Because there is a joy found in Him that will not be found in anything else in this world. And so, please speak with me. Uh, or schedule a time to speak with me where I can share the good news of the gospel and share with you about the joy that we can have because of Jesus. Now, church, we are called to rejoice in God. We're called to rejoice in God, our Savior. And I want to read the last verse of this section again and point out one final thing. And Mary, this is Luke 1, 56, and Mary stayed with her about 3 months and then she returned to her home 3 months that these two women faithful women of God this elderly woman and this young teenage girl these three these two women stayed together for 3 months think of the joy that they experienced think of the joy that they celebrated together the laughter that was infectious. Have you been around people that when they laugh, like it, it makes you smile and laugh? My dad was that way. He, that's one of the things I miss the most about my father is he had this like belly laugh that if, if you could hear it, it made you laugh. And I can assure you that the joy that these women experienced was far more infectious than his laugh. I wonder, like I just think about them laughing and celebrating together inside the house and the neighbors thinking like, what in the world is going on over there? This overflow of joy. Can you believe that God is doing this in us? Every time the baby kicks, every time something happens, just joy-filled laughter over the goodness of God, the kindness of God. Of God is just an overflow of rejoicing in God, their Savior. For three months together, I envision there was so much, so many smiles, so many laughs, just so much just enjoying together the reality of what God has done. The child that came and who is coming again offers endless blessings to us. That we should rejoice in. And so starting with our salvation church. Let us be a people that rejoices. the loving God and Savior that we serve. And let us rejoice when we see him at work in other people. And celebrate that. Look at what God's doing in them. Praise God for that. Let us rejoice in what he's done for us. And let us rejoice in what he's going to do when Jesus comes again. Because of Jesus, our lives can be lives filled with rejoicing. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you sent your Son. We thank you that because of Jesus, we can experience true joy. Because of our forgiveness, because of your constant care and love and grace and mercy that's been poured out on us repeatedly. And so I pray that you will make us a people of joy, that even as we walk through heartaches, we will be a people known for our rejoicing because of him. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.